Welcome back. It's my pleasure to introduce our next speaker, Dr. Christine Hashem. Dr. Hashem is a professor of medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology at St. Louis University. She has a strong interest in the clinical care of individuals with cystic fibrosis and education of colleagues and the community about the topics of chronic gastrointestinal issues such as dysmotility, acid reflux, and colon cancer screening and cystic fibrosis. She's engaged in both public, patient family, and resident student education on the importance of CF-related gastroenterology topics with a focus on colon cancer screening in individuals with CF. She's currently the principal investigator of a multi-centered study in conjunction with the CFF, looking at stool-based colorectal cancer screening options in individuals with CF. Dr. Hashem's presentation is Understanding Gastrointestinal Cancers in Cystic Fibrosis. Welcome, Dr. Hashem. Thank you, Jim, and thank you to the CF Research Institute for inviting me. So for the next hour or so, we'll be talking about understanding gastrointestinal cancers and cystic fibrosis. My objectives today are that we recognize the increased risk of GI cancers and cystic fibrosis. We will discuss the etiology and potential risk factors for the increased risk in cystic fibrosis and understand potential screening recommendations in individuals with cystic fibrosis. We know that cystic fibrosis is an autosomal recessive disorder. While approximately 30,000 individuals in the United States have cystic fibrosis, 70,000 worldwide, almost 10 million people in the U.S. are CF carriers. More than 1,700 mutations of the CFTR gene have been identified, and these CFTR mutations are found throughout the body, including the GI tract. The mutation type influences the function and content and affects the disease severity. Therapies are directed at the mutation class. Here, you all may already be familiar, but we know normal CFTR protein is created and moves to the cell surface and allows the transfer of chloride and water. Class one through three are considered more severe mutation classes, uh, especially in terms of the, uh, the GI tract. Um, class one, no fun functional CFTR is created, and you can see the mutation types that are represented. Class two uh, is the most common mutation that we have, the Delta F508 mutation, where CFTR protein is created but misfolds, keeping it from moving to the cell surface. And you can see it accounts for almost 90% of mutation classes. Class three, CFTR protein is created and moves to the cell surface, but the channel gate does not open properly. Uh, you may recognize the gating mutation there. Class four and five, as I mentioned, are less severe, and these patients usually are pancreatic sufficient. And this is important as we discuss GI cancer risk. The good news is that survival in cystic fibrosis is improving. We know that over half of, this is data from 2019, but the data from 2020 mirrors this, that over half of individuals now are over the age of 18. And we see this improved survival leading to an adult population that's increasing with median survival age of now 50 years. And we know that CF goes beyond pulmonary disease. We do know the lungs are affected and we see patients with bronchiectasis, chronic infection, airway obstruction, we know our ENT colleagues deal with nasal polyps and chronic infection and congestion, and our, our patients are suffer from male infertility due to congenital absence of vasopressins. Uh, we also see uh, diabetes. Um, in terms of GI stuff, we see biliary cirrhosis, gastroesophageal reflux disease, DOS, which is distal intestinal obstructive syndrome, pancreatic insufficiency, recurrent pancreatitis, 
And what I will be discussing today is the focus on GI cancers. So with improvements in therapies, with the multidisciplinary care, the improvements in the modulators, as well as um, nutrition, medications to decrease inflammation and infection, we know that individuals with CF are living longer. Unfortunately, as you age and, and get the advantage of living longer, you also are at risk for developing cancers. Interestingly, um, most of the data looking at cancers in cystic fibrosis have shown a, an increase in risk that predominantly affects GI cancer risk. And overall, the overall absolute numbers of cancers are still low, although the risk is increased in cystic fibrosis. So let's look at some of the data that we have for GI cancers and cystic fibrosis. I will tell you that most of this data is from observational studies and systematic reviews and meta-analyses. So, uh, but we do see that the overall risk of GI cancers, when you look at standardized incidence ratios of observed to expected is quite high, eightfold difference with the general population. We see increases in small bowel cancers, up to 20-fold increase, colon cancer in this particular study, 10-fold increase, biliary tract cancers, pancreatic cancer, gastric cancer, esophageal cancer, and rectal cancer. And the pooled ratios are even higher in transplant patients. In some studies, two to five times, and up to 30-fold increase. So this is data from the CF Foundation Registry. Uh, this is a, a pivotal study that looked at U.S. cohort of almost 42,000 CF patients. This is registry data over a 20-year period. And what we see is an elevated risk of GI cancers. So if you look at non-transplanted patients in this first column, and you look at um, EG junction cancers, which are the distal esophagus, you can see, although the absolute numbers are small, if, if you look at the 42,000 individuals over a 20-year period, the observed to expected ratio is quite high. So you have five cases of EG junction cancers. We look at the terminal ileum, which is the distal part of the small intestine. Again, small numbers, but very high compared to the expected numbers, five to 0.4. Colon cancer, and I'll be discussing this, 26 observed to four, so a six-fold increase. Biliary tract, so looking at the bile ducts, four to 0.4. And you compare this to melanoma, which actually is lower risk, um, and, and some of the other uh, cancers are listed here. When you look at transplant patients, this number increases exponentially. So if I want to focus specifically on, uh, you can look at terminal ileum, again, 52-fold increase, colon cancer, 30-fold increase, biliary tract, 31-fold increase. But keep in mind that the absolute numbers are still quite small. This highlights some of the data that they looked at in terms of post-transplant cancers and standardized incidence ratio among CF patients after transplantation. Again, using our CF Foundation patient registry uh, from 1999 to 2009 over a 20-year period, many CF cancer centers input it into this registry. And you can see, again, large numbers of CF patients, large numbers of person years transplanted, and again, same findings, increased risk of digestive tract cancers in CF patients following transplantation. Again, looking at uh, two different periods, 1990 to 1999, uh, you can see the observed uh, versus expected. It, again, small intestine, the standardized instance ratio is 125, although there's only one observed to the expected. Uh, colon cancer, again, high, high SIR, uh, liver, et cetera. 
If you look at 2000 to 2009, similar standardized incidence ratios um, to account for the higher prevalence. This is data looking at age-specific incidence rates of bowel cancer. So what you see here on the y-axis here is age-specific rates per 100,000 on the x-axis age. And they compare the CF Foundation Registry with C the uh, Surveillance Epidemiology and End Results Program, which looks at the general population. And they looked at, starting at age 30, you can see a marked difference in the um, incidence rates of bowel cancer between CF patients and the general population. So they commented that the absolute risk or absolute incidence at age 30 almost mirrors the, the incidence at age 50 to 60 for the general population in regards to bowel cancer. So why are cystic fibrosis individuals at higher risk for GI cancers? Well, I wish I had the answer, but the un it's an unclear me mechanism. So do you know from mice models that there is chronic gastrointestinal epithelial cell turnover? There are impairments in the CFTR gene, which lead to increased viscosity of secretions. We know that thick, gooey material, which causes impaired mucociliary clearance in the GI tract and causes mucosal obstruction and chronic inflammation. We know this from mice models and knockout mice. We know that there is some component of bacterial dysbiosis due to the viscosity and inflammation. We know that there are upregulation of oncogenes such as Wnt and beta-catenin. Over here, you can see as the CFTR is downregulated, Wnt uh, oncogenes are upregulated. And these are very important in intestinal tissue homeostasis and intestinal cell survival and proliferation and differentiation. And we know that the diet may play a role. For years, we've re recommended a high fat and high calorie diet to individuals with cystic fibrosis. We also know that the CFTR is, uh, gene is downregulated, and this is a tumor suppressor gene. So because of epigenetic regulations such as promoter hypermethylation, messenger RNA transcription factors, we get downregulation of CFTR, which leads to increased proliferation and reduced apoptosis, mitochondrial dysfunction leading to increased reactive oxygen species generation, enhanced invasion and metastases and pro-inflammatory signaling, which is thought to lead to this increased GI cancer risk in CF individuals. And we don't yet know about the role of CFTR modulators. There's still not any data uh, on what will happen, but we are hopeful that it will decrease the risk as it modulates the CFTR. Well, what are some overall risk factors for GI cancers and cystic fibrosis? Remember, all of this is mostly from observational studies, but what we do know is that men are at higher risk for GI cancers and cystic fibrosis. If you have had an episode of DIOS, which is distal intestinal obstructive syndrome, where you get that thick inspissated mucosal secretions in the right colon and, and terminal ileum, causing an obstructive picture. If you have a severe CFTR genotype, as I mentioned, severe is considered class one to three, which really encompasses the majority of individuals with CF. And if you are post-lung transplantation, you are at higher risk for GI cancers based on epidemiologic studies. Let's look at some of these GI cancers a little bit more closely. First, I'll start with is esophageal cancer and cystic fibrosis. We know esophageal adenocarcinoma is mediated by acid reflux, so gastroesophageal reflux disease, which leads to Barrett's esophagus. And I'll show you right here, this is a normal esophagus if you look on the left-hand cartoon. 
a picture, the normal GE junction and the biopsies show stratified squamous epithelium that's healthy. In a patient with chronic acid reflux, that red salmon color mucosa extends proximally up the esophagus. And biopsies confirm these goblet cells or intestinal metaplasia. This is a precursor for esophageal adenocarcinoma. And you go from a normal esophagus to that salmon color mucosa. And unfortunately, patients develop esophageal adenocarcinoma with this image on the right. So we know that cystic fibrosis individuals have acid reflux. Gastroesophageal reflux disease is more common in cystic fibrosis. Again, the data from 2020 is similar to 2019. And we can see here that maybe 30 to 40% of individuals, both kids and adults, report gastroesophageal reflux disease in the registry. And 80 to 90% of CF post-lung transplant patients also report gastroesophageal reflux disease. So you have that acid milieu that is uh, in present for increase, explaining the increased risk of esophageal adenocarcinoma in individuals with CF. So it's no wonder that the, there's been reports of increased esophageal adenocarcinoma risk of standardized incidence ratio of 56. Remember, that's compared to the general population if you have CF and your post-lung transplant. We have some small studies that show a three-fold increase in the risk of Barrett's esophagus with a younger average age of diagnosis at 36. So keep in mind, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat this a lot, that CF individuals are not only at risk, at increased risk of GI cancers, but at an earlier age. In the general population, we start to think about Barrett's esophagus after you've had chronic GERD symptoms and you're in your 50s. We've even seen the development of Barrett's esophagus in children with cystic fibrosis. So that puts them at risk for long uh, acid reflux exposure over time. So by the time they're 30, they've actually probably had it for 10, 20 years. There's some genetic testing that shows that CFTR gene is linked to Barrett's esophagus and esophageal adenocarcinoma. I will also say that there is very limited, but some data that shows that maybe esophageal squamous cell cancer may also have increased risks in cystic fibrosis. While there's increased risks, the absolute number is low. So screening recommendations at this time are lacking. I would say if your patient had acid reflux symptoms of longstanding duration, maybe 10 to 15 years, or if they have any red flags, such as dysphagia, trouble swallowing, uh, chest pain, unexplained, nausea, vomiting, weight loss, uh, have a low index of suspicion and consider doing an upper endoscopy sooner than later. What about small bowel cancers? I skipped the stomach because there's really very little data for gastric cancers, although some say that, again, individuals with cystic fibrosis are at increased risk of gastric cancer. Again, little is known about small bowel cancers, but we do know there's an increase of standardized incidence ratio of almost 20-fold. The one risk factor that's been listed in the literature is the history of DOS, again, distal intestinal obstructive syndrome. And that makes sense because most uh, of these small bowel cancers occur in that terminal ileum, which if you look at this graphic here, you have the colon, I'm going up the rectum, sigmoid, descending, transverse, ascending, and where the ascending colon and the distal ileum or small bowel meet is the terminal ileum. That's where DIOS occurs. So that's where all that thick mucus stool gets obstructed. And it may be causing stagnant inflammation, bacteria, uh, dysbiosis, et cetera. So that may explain why individuals with cystic fibrosis are at higher risk of cancer in this area. So what do we do for screening? Well, if you're going to have your colonoscopy, you can 
peek in to that terminal ileum and look for a cancer or a mass. You can do capsule endoscopy, which is video capsule endoscopy here. Image A shows a capsule endoscopy, which is actually, if you look at this hand, a, a small pill or a little horse size multivitamin size pill where you swallow it, it and it automatically just goes down through your uh, esophagus, stomach, and into that 23 feet of small intestine and takes pictures as it goes down and identifies any weird polyps or nodules. We can do direct scopes such as deep venereoscopy, which is just like a long scope that can go all the way through the small intestine. And you can visually look for mass lesions, which you can see here in B. You can look for small growths that you see in C. E is here some nodularity that you might see, maybe even with lymphoma. And you can see stricture formation or narrowing. Um, I'm showing you an image F. And the advantage of deep enteroscopy is that you could actually take biopsies of these potential mass lesions. What about liver cancers and cystic fibrosis? Well, we know that CF liver disease is kind of a vague, nonspecific term, but it accounts for 23% prevalence in cystic fibrosis. And we know that cirrhosis, when it happens in CF individuals, happens early on. So usually our pediatric GI colleagues um, are taking care of these individuals and they transition to the adult care. CFTR is abnormal uh, and causes thicker bile, which can lead to fibrosis and scarring of the liver. And you can see here on that right-hand side, the liver lies in the right upper quadrant, right above the colon and intestines. You can see a healthy looking liver over here on the right lower, quad, uh, right lower side of the slide, and then a scarred fibrotic liver. Those are the livers that are, seem to be at higher risk for developing hepatocellular carcinoma, and indeed there have been case reports. The screening for liver cancer in general is unclear, but when we screen for liver cancer, we would do an un, uh, a blood test for alpha fetoprotein, AFP, which is a tumor marker in the liver, and ultrasound monitoring of the liver. So it's pretty non-invasive. We just don't know when to start, how long to do it for. Uh, based on the general population, once you develop cirrhosis, we start screening ultrasounds and uh, consider alpha-beta protein testing. What about pancreatic or biliary cancer and cystic fibrosis? Well, uh, like the general population, if you develop either one of these cancers, there's a poor prognosis in both the general population and cystic fibrosis. Again, I will tell you the risk is overall low. Those absolute numbers are low, but there's a six-fold increase over the general population. Like most GI cancers, the pathogenesis is unclear, but we do know that chronic pancreatitis in general is a risk factor for pancreatic cancer due to chronic inflammation. Maybe the incidence of gallstones and chronic cholecystitis may also be at risk. These are all hypotheses. The screening recommendations are not evidence-based, but there are some a little bit more formal screening recommendations for these cancers starting at age 40, and I think 40 is the magic number if you wanna think about cystic fibrosis individuals, that we start screening for most of these GI cancers, whether there's evidence or not, at age 40, and you can do one to three year intervals. You might wanna, depending on transplant status. So if you've had a lung transplant, you might start screening, uh, you might do screening on a more frequent interval. You can also do blood tests for um, these cancers, such as CA199, you can do endoscopic ultrasound and MRIs or CTs for imaging. I, I highlight here, uh, this is a, a CT image which shows a pancreatic mass in the head of the pancreas. 
the problem with a lot of the screening or the blood tests that we have even, there's a lot of false positives. And so um, there is a financial burden of testing if you have to do uh, every year um, endoscopic ultrasound. So you get sedated, you get um, anesthesia, you get IVs, it's invasive, uh, or even MRIs or CAT scans with radiation burden. And again, as I mentioned, there's not an exact age to begin. Most of this data is, is derived from the hereditary pancreatic cancer syndromes. So the clinical presentation of GI cancers and cystic fibrosis, I hope I've already stressed, it's a younger age. Average age of, age of onset for GI cancers is in their 30s. This is compared to the general population of 50s, 60s, and so on. And the problem with cystic fibrosis individuals is that we often have a delayed diagnosis because they often have G other GI symptoms or multiple GI issues. If you look here at the bottom of the slide, it's courtesy of Steve Friedman, which shows that the data from uh, the GI, I think this is from uh, Galaxy, where they surveyed cystic fibrosis individuals, both um, uh, pediatric population and adults. And you can see there's a lot of GI problems, incomplete bowel movements in 20% of the adults, straining issues, abdominal fullness, bloating, and abdominal distension. So you can see some of these symptoms can mimic, uh, can be very confused with the same symptoms that you might expect when someone has colon cancer. Um, and so uh, I think that that explains why there may be a delay in diagnosis and we don't expect it um, in such a young age of presentation. But remember that the most common GI cancer and cystic fibrosis is colon cancer and be very much aware that these GI symptoms could be a sign of colon cancer. So I, I highlight these two patients that we had or have um, because it, it is very real. So although most of the data I give you is from epidemiologic and observational studies, our, our patients are developing cancer at a young age. So this is an, an individual with young colon cancer, a 42-year-old man, so very, very young, maybe old for cystic fibrosis, but young. Again, with de uh, Delta F508 mutations, homozygous, so again, the severe uh, genetic mutation, diabetes, pancreatic insufficiency, who had been on Trikafta for one year and had nonspecific GI symptoms. Really, uh, they thought it was really like their, their GI symptoms from cystic fibrosis, bloating, early satiety, nausea, some reflux. Uh, something that was concerning was new onset iron deficiency anemia. Um, however, no overt bleeding that may signal GI bleeding and no weight loss. And unfortunately, when we did an upper endoscopy, we found in the, this is a, to orient you, this is an upper scope where we go in through the esophagus, look in the stomach and in the small intestine. And we see here uh, coming from the small intestine uh, protruding into the stomach, a small bowel mass. This is food in the stomach. This is the esophagus. Um, image number five shows a, another uh, smaller mass in the stomach. Um, this is that mass again in image six protruding from the small intestine into the stomach. If you look into the small intestine, you can see kind of an infiltrative lesion. And then the biopsies unfortunately confirmed gastric adenocarcinoma and small bowel adenocarcinoma in this young man. And when we did a colonoscopy for the same young man because he had iron deficiency anemia, unfortunately we found an obstructing mass in the colon. 
um, and really did not have any lower bowel symptoms. He just had that the nonspecific abdominal discomfort and, and bloating feeling. So very nonspecific symptoms, young patient. And what we saw was an obstructing colon cancer in the right colon with liver metastases. This is another uh, patient with, who, again, is very young, 42. Again, with cystic fibrosis and delta F508 homozygous. So that severe genotype I mentioned, which increases your risk for GI cancers. This individual also had a history of lung transplant. And again, I hope I highlighted that lung transplant increases your risk maybe 30-fold for GI cancers. She presented with some nonspecific right-sided abdominal pain, uh, really was, was thought to maybe have constipation. She wasn't overly concerned. The CAT scan even showed some constipation here, maybe some thickening, uh, maybe some appendicitis, uh, but there was some thickening of the appendix and the right colon, maybe some mild enlarged lymph nodes, maybe thought to read as more reactive than necessarily malignant. The arrow highlights what I just said. And unfortunately, when we did a colonoscopy, we found an eight centimeter fungating, which means ugly looking, partially obstructing mass in the right colon. This highlights the, the parts of the colon. So hers is over in this area. Um, and uh, she underwent a right colonic resection. So before I, I talk about cystic fibrosis individuals with colon cancer, which I'll spend the remainder of my talk, um, I want you to know that not only are individuals with cystic fibrosis at risk, uh, many people in the general population are at risk. I highlight some of the celebrities um, that you may be familiar that have had colon cancer, Audrey Hepburn, the Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, Farrah Fawcett, this is Daryl Strawberry, uh, Sharon Osbourne, and even Katie Couric's husband. And so she's been a huge uh, proponent and um, uh, support for colon cancer research and funding. But let's focus on colon cancer risk and cystic fibrosis. Again, the CFTR is, is a tumor suppressor gene um, as shown in the GI tract of mice. And when you lose the CFTR gene, you get GI tumor formation due to that dysregulation of immune response. Intestinal stem cell and growth signaling regulators are, are uh, rampant. That stagnant mucus, bacterial overgrowth, the dysregulation, the gene expression, and epithelial homeostasis, and, and chronic inflammation. And what we see is that nearly all colon cancer in individuals with CF is diagnosed before age 50. And in fact, the average age seems to be almost um, as early as in their 40s. So screening colonoscopy at age 45 or 50, which is the general population recommendation, is not appropriate in CF individuals. The majority of colon cancer and CF is also right-sided. What are risk factors for colon cancer and cystic fibrosis? Again, some of the same risk factors as in all GI cancers. Male sex, severe functional CF genotype, those class one to three mutations. F508 delta homozygosity, which explains many of our CF individuals. And if you are lucky to get over the age of 30 years, you have an increased risk of developing colon cancer. And as I mentioned, lung transplantation itself increases the risk almost 30-fold based on a number of studies. This is a pivotal study from Minnesota uh, looking at screening colonoscopy at age 40 in individuals with cystic fibrosis. So screening means they had no symptoms. They, were, they just qualified because they were 40 years old and had cystic fibrosis. 
And they underwent colonoscopy, which is where the scope goes in through the rectum, advances through the left colon, middle colon, and then up the right colon. And again, ideally looking at the terminal ileum. And what they found in these asymptomatic 40-year-old CF individuals were adenomatous polyps on initial screening in almost half of the individuals. Again, asymptomatic and much younger than the recommended age at the time. 25% uh, had one or more advanced adenomas, which are precancerous growths that have higher potential for colon cancer. They may be large or have villus or uh, pathology or dysplasia. And this is five times higher than the general population. And many had more than three precancerous polyps. So we think your risk of colon cancer is related to these adenomatous polyps, whether they're advanced or, and how many you have. And even if you had a negative initial screening colonoscopy, if you repeated the colonoscopy within 49 months, almost half had those precancerous polyps. And half of those had advanced adenomas. Again, a little higher risk for progressing to colon cancer. And the Minnesota colleagues are not alone. Studies have been done on individuals with cystic fibrosis in Australia, Minnesota, Canada. And what you find is that, look at this age at colonoscopy, they're all young, 30s and 40s. And what they find is that a large number of individuals have adenomatous polyps. These are these precancerous growths that if you can catch them and remove them, you decrease the risk. But for some reason, they're having higher risks or earlier age of onset of these precancerous polyps. The um, absolute numbers are on the left and the percentages and in, in, in parentheses. And you can see increased number of colon cancers amongst this young age group in cystic fibrosis. So I hope that I've highlighted that the risk of cancer specifically digestive tract cancers, is high in cystic fibrosis. And people with CF are developing cancers at a much earlier mean, 30, 40 years of age. And that the standardized incidence ratio for CF colon cancer is greater than many known risk factors. This is a, a table from uh, a study looking at CF patients, non-transplanted. Again, if you look at the GI cancers, esophagus, non-digestive, stomach, small bowel, colon, you can I highlight the colon cancer risk in non-transplant patients of sevenfold increased risk. Post-transplant, look at this colon standardized incident ratio of 30-fold. And you compare that to other non-CF patients who are, we already think have an increased risk. If you have a first-degree family member with colon cancer, your standardized incidence ratio is two-fold. If you have siblings, two-fold. If you have something called Lynch family cancer syndrome, which is HNPCC, which is a familial colon cancer syndrome. They get annual colonoscopies. Their standardized incident ratio is only threefold. Even if you have IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, another risk factor for colon cancer, you can see what their standardized incidence ratios are. So we think about our general family history as a risk factor for colon cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, if you have diabetes, diet, whether they're overweight, eat a lot of red meat, and you can see the relative risk. But I put forth before you that cystic fibrosis and cystic fibrosis post-transplant individuals are even higher risk than your traditional risk factors for colon cancer. So it's no wonder that the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and, um, and colleagues got together and, and created this special report now almost uh, four years old, 2018 published, which 
highlight colorectal cancer screening recommendations. And what they recommended, and this is our most robust screening recommendations for GI cancers, but this is for colon cancer. It's a shared decision between the patient and the provider, and it's jointly managed by the CF healthcare professional, which is usually a pulmonologist and an endoscopist or a GI physician. At this time, colonoscopy is the only recommended screening for colon cancer. There's insufficient evidence for the use of other modalities, such as CT colonography, where you do a CAT scan and you clean them out and look at their colon, fecal immunochemical testing or fecal occult blood testing, where you have stool-based tests that look for blood, or a FLEX-SIG, which is a short scope looking at the left part of the colon only. Because remember, as I mentioned, uh, colon cancer and cystic fibrosis seems to be right colon predominant. In this consensus recommendation, there, they did comment there is some uh, stool-based promise for stool-based fit testing, which is looking at blood, maybe cost-effective and an attractive option, but we did, don't know the characteristics of stool-based testing in the CF population. And we know that colonoscopy is good because we think that these polyps slowly grow over time and grow bigger and that if you do a colonoscopy early enough, you can remove these growths before they develop dysplasia or adenocarcinoma and lead to invasive cancer. So the benefit of the colonoscopy is that you can not only detect early, but remove these potential growths that can develop into colon cancer. And indeed, there have been cost-effective analyses. These are microstimulation screening analyses, so not real world. Uh, data, but colon models for colon cancer. And what we have seen is there are optimal intervals for colonoscopy and rescreening. If you've had a transplant uh, with negative testing, actually three years seem to be the most um, beneficial, although we, the recommendation is five years at this time based on different life expectancy models. Non-transplant CFP is five-year intervals um, between these ages. And that the uh, when you did colonoscopy, that you prevented uh, up to 80% of colon cancer mortality with um, acceptable costs. Um, and I, I mentioned that the, these recommendations are even shorter than our current consensus recommendations. So here you can see, this is looking at stool-based testing or colonoscopy over these age ranges, 35 to 75 or 40 to 75, um, looking at non-transplant patients and, and the life year gained. Um, and then looking at transplant patients. But basically that colonoscopy is cost-effective and potentially fit testing could be cost-effective, but we don't understand how fit um, plays in cystic fibrosis since it's really um, advocated for average risk colon cancer populations. But what's the problem with colonoscopy? Well, it's difficult. Um, and for many of my CF individual patients or for general population, it's difficult. But CF patients, it's especially difficult because you have to have an even more intensive bowel prep than the normal population. So not only do you get that one gallon of go lightly, which I, uh, you know, doesn't always go lightly, you may have to do two gallons or one and a half. You have to drink it over three to four periods instead of just once or twice. You um, are usually um, not eating for a few days, so it's difficult, but it makes a huge difference because you can see on the left side, if we don't see well, there's lots of growths in there, polyps that can be hiding and flat, 
that could develop in a cancer versus the right side where we can see. So visibility is a key, but we know that CF individuals have very thick um, stool that is difficult to clear out. So it's not an easy process. However, the cystic fibrosis colon cancer screening consensus recommendations are these. Individuals with cystic fibrosis who have not had a transplant and based on patient and clinician shared decision-making, think that it's safe and there's not, no significant comorbidities and they have uh, a quality of life that merits colon cancer screening and they are over the age of 40, they should undergo colonoscopy for screening for colon cancer. If there are no findings, they still repeat the test in five years. This is akin to high-risk populations. So if they do find positive polyps or depending on the number and the type, you come back at least within three years, but maybe sooner. If you've had a transplant and you are safe to undergo colonoscopy and you're over the age of 30 and you have not had a prior screen, we screen these individuals within two years, assuming they've recovered well enough from their transplant. Again, if there are negative colonoscopy findings, they come back within five years. If we find something on the colonoscopy, such as polyps, depending on the number and the type, we have them come back in one to three years. But again, as I said, what if we could avoid PrEP? So I wanna highlight, um, this is a, a shameless plug for my study uh, that I am doing with the CF Foundation as well. But we are really optimistic about stool-based colon cancer screening options and specifically FIT, which is looking at the blood in the stool and you would just scrape the stool sample for blood and send it to the lab or Cologuard, which is looking at different biomarkers, including blood and cancer markers that you would send to the lab. And these may be valuable as first-line tests for colon cancer screening and cystic fibrosis. Uh, unfortunately, as I mentioned, the stool-based testing has not yet been evaluated, but that's what we're doing. We want to know if our CF individuals could avoid a colonoscopy. So um, although that's still the gold standard, and I want to stress that. So we have an upcoming study looking at stool-based testing compared to colonoscopy. So if you enroll in our study, you will be getting stool-based testing and colonoscopy. And uh, we have uh, enrolled over 25 centers and uh, we have posted on clinicaltrials.gov. Contact me or your center or through clinicaltrials.gov to see if you would qualify. And I already highlighted who would qualify. If you're over the age of 40, um, uh, non-transplant CF, or you're over the age of 30 um, and you're willing to, to, to do the test. Um, our study is called the NICE CF study, non-invasive colorectal cancer evaluation in CF. And so we're very hopeful and we've got a good team uh, to look at this question. I want to highlight, though, the importance of screening. These are stimulation models, but what they found is that colorectal cancer incidence rate, 1,000 person years based on age. If you look at the U.S. population as the gray line, um, you can see there's a slight increase if you don't screen. The non-transplant CF patients, uh, the yellow line increases. And then the transplant CF patients, if you don't screen, you can see an exponential increase of colon cancer without screening. So I can't highlight enough how important it is to screen your CF individuals for colon cancer. What about other GI cancers? Well, there are no clear recommendations other than for colon cancer screening. But what I 
from the literature and expert opinion, we would say is consider starting at age 40 or after transplant, especially after age 30. Small bowel screening, when they get the colonoscopy, have the endoscopist look in the terminal ileum and um, look for terminal ileum mass lesions. Maybe do it every five years if you're non-transplant or every three years for your transplant because that's when they would do colonoscopy. You could also consider the capsule endoscopy where you swallow that pill camera. Um, again, you may actually have to educate some of your gastroenterologists that, um, because really not all gastroenterologists are, are used to taking care of individuals with cystic fibrosis and aware of these high risk um, cancer uh, risks in this population. What about biliary and pancreas screening? We again know that there are increased risks, although the absolute numbers are still quite low, but you could do MRIs or endoscopic ultrasounds or abdominal ultrasounds and blood tests. How often? Again, really uh, unsure, but maybe every two to three years for non-transplant has been recommended and every one to two years for transplant. Liver, alpha feeder protein, that blood test and abdominal ultrasound. And I will say that Again, although there's an elevated risk for all of these cancers in CF, the absolute numbers are still quite low, which is why we don't really understand how frequently, how often, um, or when to start for screening. And these are general recommendations based on the ages that we are seeing GI cancer in cystic fibrosis. But I can't stress enough to investigate symptoms and not to assume that they're part of someone's chronic uh, uh, GI milieu um, and, and not to um, dismiss uh, these symptoms in CF individuals because of their young age, uh, because we are seeing GI cancers at a young age um, and, um, and their GI symptoms are, can mask what is happening inside. So my take home points are that CF is a multi-system disease that involves the GI tract so CFTR mutations play a role in GI cancer and in the increased role of GI cancers in cystic fibrosis. I cannot highlight enough that the risk of colon cancer with CF may be greater than that even in Lynch syndrome based on some studies. So I um, believe that CF is a hereditary colon cancer syndrome or a GI cancer syndrome and should be taken very seriously and considered high risk population. All patients at this time with CF should be screened with, for colon cancer with colonoscopy and they need a special prep. You cannot do a regular prep. It really um, is so frustrating and disappointing for the endoscopist as well as for the patient when they've tried their best, but they were given a regular prep and they came in and it did not clean out well. We need to be able to see the colon tissue to really identify those subtle polyps that can turn into cancer but have hope because stool-based testing may be an option in the future for colon cancer. This is our logo. I just wanna highlight um, the, the intersection between uh, colon cancer ribbon and the CF ribbon. Um, one of my residents designed that, she's gifted in, in that. And remember that the, at this time, there are no clear recommendations for screening for other GI cancers, uh, but prevention and early detection likely will be key. And we are hopeful that the um, uh, modulators may have an impact on colon cancer and GI cancers as they have shown some promise in some of the other GI comorbidities that cystic fibrosis individuals have, but the data is, uh, has not uh, 
We don't have enough data yet. So I'll leave you with this um, slide that, remember that cystic fibrosis is a gastrointestinal cancer syndrome, uh, but have hope. Um, and uh, and uh, the key is early detection and have uh, high awareness. Uh, please consider looking into our study, uh, looking at non-invasive colon cancer evaluation and CF. And with that, I thank you for the opportunity and I'm happy to open it up to questions. Thank you, Dr. Hashem, for such a phenomenal, phenomenal presentation. And let's see, if you stop sharing, oh, we'll keep this up here. Everybody screenshot this if they want more information. <laughs> and then if you stop sharing, we'll have a Q&A. Sure. Great. Um, just so people know, there uh, we've run over a little bit, but we have a, a slight break between the two presentations. So if you're willing to hang in with us, we'll get to more of the questions. And then hopefully, uh, actually, Dr. Hashem has kindly said she will answer all the other questions uh, post-conference. So starting with the top, the slide you showed that says the recommendation would be 40 for first colonoscopy for people with CF. And that came out in 2018. But now in light of for the general population in 2021, the shift for first colonoscopy was 45. Yes. Is there a movement now to lower that age, especially looking at the slides that you showed about how young people are who are developing cancer? Um, I, I don't think there is there is at this time, but I think that's something we need to think about in the future as we get more data. If I think there's still a lot of unknown because we don't know if modulators will actually extend the time in terms of uh, decreasing the risk of GI cancers. But I think that's something that we need to think about. Is 40 enough? Because as I mentioned, we had a couple of 40-year-olds that we scoped and they had colon cancer already. So the goal is actually to get them before the cancer starts. So I think that is something that we need to keep looking at. It's a good question. And have you seen the study that came out of, I guess, University of Iowa about the high prevalence of colon cancers and GI cancers for carriers of CF? Can you talk yes. about that? Yeah, so I, you know, there, again, there's very limited data, but what they found was that um, even carriers have maybe a 44% increase over the general population for GI cancers. And you think about carriers, uh, that accounts for 10 million people. So uh, it, that definitely um, is something that needs to be studied more. Let's see, Dr. Dennis Nielsen asks, are the risk SIR sir numbers adjusted for age? I believe in some of the studies, they definitely are. This is like speed questions. I love this. <laughs> Does that, excuse my pronunciation, Neeson fundiplexion surgery reduce the risk of esophageal cancer post-transplant? Uh, so I don't think we know for sure, but if you look at the general population, a Neeson fundiplication um, does not seem to decrease the risk of esophageal cancer any more than if you just controlled acid with acid suppression. So um, I think it's... Uh, the key is controlling acid suppression. So whether you want to do it through medications such as proton pump inhibitors, which is a whole lecture in itself, or, or surgery, um, either could potentially decrease the risk. Are there upper endoscopy screening guidelines like doing them with colonoscopies? No, there aren't. And, and uh, you know, the, the VA population, it was very pivotal even in doing, um, they were one of the first people that, Anybody that came and got a colonoscopy, they did studies where they just flipped them around and, and did an upper scope, even if they had no symptoms. And they found in the VA population, uh, 25 to 30% could have um, 
upper esophageal findings of Barrett's, that precancerous condition. So it would be interesting if somebody um, uh, in a potential study to um, flip our CF individuals around and just do an upper scope and see what the incident, the true incidence rates are for these precursor lesions that can increase the risk of, of uh, esophageal adenocarcinoma. But there are no current guidelines. Can any GI doc doctor perform a colonoscopy for someone living with CF? Sure, any GI doctor can certainly perform a colonoscopy. Colonoscopy is sort of our bread and butter, but the problem is, is that not all GI doctors are aware of the increased risk of colon cancer. And definitely not all GI doctors are aware of the extended prep that's needed. Because um, a lot of um, CF patients don't even complain about constipation, but we know the transit and the stool is just different in CF individuals. So even if they don't have your typical constipation complaints, uh, they do need the extended prep. So that would be my challenge to, to other GI doctors and to individuals who are undergoing colonoscopy. You remind them that they need uh, an extended prep. It's never easy to tell people you need to drink more of this stuff, yeah. but it's so important for visibility. Um, let's see, is there evidence from IVACAFTER results of lowered risk of colon cancers or cancers? Yeah, we don't have a lot of data, surprisingly, from the earlier modulators on that. So long time to wait for trichafta information. Yeah, and I, I wonder, I think it's also because our absolute numbers are still quite low. So you really need long, da long data. Um, and um, the, again, the problem are the, that the absolute numbers are still quite low, even though the risk is increased. Would a mainly vegetarian diet help to reduce the risks? So potentially, uh, when we think about overall general population risk, um, we think about high fat diets, red meats, uh, diets and red meat um, are high risks for colon cancer. And so we do recommend high fiber diet in general. How good that is, no one really studies that because diet you know, is, is not a really popular uh, research uh, study tool. So you know, I think it potentially can have some benefit. We do think the high fat diet that we've always told our CF patients to, to um, partake in um, may increase their risk for not only GI cancers, but other things like heart disease. Does having prior bouts with C. diff increase chances of colon cancer? You know, as, as far as I know, uh, we, I don't have any data for that. That's an interesting question though. I see a, why are cancers predominantly detected on the right side? Again, I think that's because of, if you think about um, the DOS or distal intestinal obstructive syndrome, a lot of that stasis happens in that right colon um, and the terminal ileum. And I think that's why there may be um, a higher risk on that right-handed side, right colon, sorry. So let's see, getting to your study. Uh, let's see, if we aren't at one of the NICE, NICE hospital sites, can we still participate by mailing in our stool samples? I think at this time, if you're not at one of those sites, uh, you cannot participate just with research regulations. Um, but certainly uh, you can still email me and I can tell you if that site is participating or someone close by is. We really appreciate um, the CF community um, in terms of their uh, excitement for the study. Who can get that excited about stool? But um, GI doctors and, uh, and individuals uh, with CF who have that as a potential alternative to colonoscopy. 
Uh, do carriers need to do some sort of special prep for colonoscopies? You know, I don't think we know a lot of data. We don't have a lot of data for carriers. Um, and so I don't think that that's a universal recommendation at this time. Uh, but if there's any concern, I think uh, drinking more usually doesn't hurt. How do people with CF share the decision-making process or decision-making when people with CF aren't told that their risk goes up tremendously after age 30? And obviously that's self-advocacy, what tips you would give. Um, and you know we all know it's all linked to insurance, right? So having a prescribed colonoscopy at a younger age uh, would facilitate coverage. So how do people self-advocate? I think, um... I don't know. I think that's a really difficult question to answer in some ways. Um, uh, I think we're trying to educate um, physicians and uh, primary caregivers for CF individuals. And I think the message is getting out there that there is a higher risk. Um, and I think it will just come up with time in terms of further education. I think, is that addressing the question? Um, I think it sounds like part of it is that the providers really educate the patients as well that with the increased risk. And, and you're right. Um, the hope is that as we continue to educate CF providers, that they can educate the patients as well. And so that's a really a shared decision-making process, because you're right, if you don't know you have a higher risk, you're not going to really want to engage in these screening procedures. Uh, and we know about cancer being more common. Does this then mean that polyps are more common in people with CF or CF carriers? I think that's the thought, right? Because we think that it's a precursor lesion. So if we can catch it um, before it grows, then we can um, really decrease the risk of colon cancer. So that's where colonoscopy or early detection with hopefully stool-based testing would be key to um, have people undergo colonoscopy. And like you said, the question is, are we starting early enough even at age 40? And I don't know. When in doubt, Seek a colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, I think the problem is a lot of GI, and those two that I talked about or mentioned that develop colon cancer at a really late stage, um, they had really chronic GI symptoms. And I think even the, the patient, um, the one with the metastatic cancers, really minimized things because he's always had a little bit of bloating and feeling full and abdominal discomfort. And so I think um, it's really having a high index of suspicion. And as um, one person asked, you know, understanding that. CF individuals are at high risk for cancers and really if something doesn't seem right or different, we need to act. And I do wanna make a plug for this evening, we have our awards celebration and we're honoring uh, Anna Payne, member of our community who is in her thirties and has colon cancer and has been just such a phenomenal advocate. So everybody listen to Anna <laughs> and advocate, don't ignore your symptoms. So. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Hutchum, this has been an incredible presentation, so informative, and obviously, as you kept referring, that could make a whole nother presentation. So I'm hoping that we can have you come back sometime and address these other issues. Uh, this has been a gift to all of us that you've shared your time and your expertise. So thank you so very much. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. So everybody, this will conclude this session. Um, the next one is coming up, I think in about 10 minutes and it is with Dr. Paul McRae. Um, so we look forward to having him come back. He will discuss advances in gene therapy for cystic fibrosis. So I look forward to seeing you all at the next session. And again, thank you so very much for being here.